traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land. land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, it's your chance to have your say on Point of Origin. Now, this has been a really interesting one for me. Obviously, we had that conversation with Mark Ramsey last time. You know, one one of the podcasting greats as far as I'm concerned. But it was maybe in some ways the Twilight Zone 2019 episode that I've been most critical of. But hearing people's thoughts on it, hearing those clips that have been coming in, it's really been a fascinating experience to hear what you think. I would have really loved to make this one a bit more of a kind of dialogue where I respond to what you've said about it because I think people have made some really great points on this and it would have been nice to get that conversation moving a bit. Unfortunately, because of time, I can't do that. But, you know, kudos to you. Kudos to you, the listeners, for coming at this in such an intelligent way, bringing some really great thoughts to it. So please realise that I do appreciate it. And it would have been nice to kind of get a bit more dialogue in this one, but unfortunately time is against me. So let's not waste any more and let's get to your thoughts on Point of Origin. Hey Tom, I uh, wanted to start with Point of Origin. I think it's another solid outing for the series. Uh, the geek in me wanted to know more about the other dimension and what happened there and how the people managed to cross over into our world. But I understand that's always a tricky balance, right? You know, less is more a lot of the time, so it makes sense to leave it more mysterious. Uh, actually, that leads into my main issue with it, which is um, I feel like it was another episode that went on a little too long. If you're not going to dig deeper into the sci-fi stuff, then you know I think it, would, it made more sense for them to keep the runtime down. Um, I think it would have made it a stronger episode, you know, a tighter episode if it was closer to 30 minutes. Um, but, you know, in their defense, I'm always pushing for tighter stories, so I guess that criticism is neither here nor there. Uh, I thought the main actress, Jennifer Goodwin, was great. She really excelled at playing both that sort of Stepford wife at the beginning and then at the end that just terrified, heartbroken prisoner. Um, I think she really nailed it. There's more, definitely more that can be said about Point of Origin. Um, it's certainly a story worthy of debate. But what I really wanted to do was comment on Not All Men, if I could. I intended to call last week, but it was an episode I just needed more time with. When I first heard... Twilight Zone was getting this new incarnation, I tried really hard not to think about what I wanted. Um, I didn't want to clutter my mind with all these expectations and biases, but I couldn't help but wonder if they would tackle this topic. It's one that's frequently on my mind, uh, perhaps even more so now, uh, since last summer my wife gave birth to twin girls. Uh, problem is, now that the episode is here, I'm having a hard time separating how I wanted the episode to go from how it is. Um, and having an even harder time putting my thoughts in order, which I suppose is just part of the, the perils of fandom. Um, first, the stuff I enjoyed. I really like the, really the setup. It reminded me more of an EC comic or a Tales from the Crypt episode, which I don't mind. Um, one of my favorite parts about Twilight Zone is the variety that it provides. 
I really like the scene, uh, I think you guys talked about it, where they're in the house when the husband goes out to fight the stalker. Choosing to show their reactions to the violence instead of the violence itself, I thought was a great choice. Um, I enjoyed the slow buildup of the whole episode. I love stories that focus on um, a small town or a small group slowly being consumed by madness or evil. Um, So that really worked for me. Um, All right, now the more contentious stuff. You know, the meteorites turning out to be a placebo um, and the potentially muddled message that that carries. Um, Also, if the meteorites are placebos, then the violence can feel over the top and unrealistic. And last, and and maybe this is just me, but whenever dialogue feels sort of ripped from the headlines, um, or I guess you could say uh, ripped from Twitter, that's probably a more accurate description for today, today's world, um, I feel like that stuff can sometimes come across as cringy. But... You know, I struggled with all three of those aspects, and um, but I sat with that, my thoughts and my feelings, and really thought about why those things bothered me. You know, why did I want the meteorites to be something other than a placebo? Why didn't I like the on-the-nose dialogue? And I guess the answer is because, in a lot of ways, the way the show or the episode is made it feel more real. Um, you know, Twilight Zone is known for allegorical stories, um, you know, employing sci-fi elements to serve as metaphors. So I asked myself, what's the metaphor here? What do the rocks represent? Um, and for me, when I started viewing them as a stand-in for any external stimuli, you know, something the men weren't expecting, um, something that just came out of nowhere and turned them, it helped me focus the message and my feelings a little bit more. Um, I'll give you an example that helped me to, to view this story in a different light. Um, a, a couple personal anecdotes. So I went to college, and while there, I saw things set guys off in ways that I'd never seen before. I have friends, you know, guys I like, funny guys, nice guys, just uh, literally just punch holes in walls because they lost in a video game. Um, I've seen fights break out, and I mean fights you know the kind of fights that if you've ever been to college you've probably seen them um fights that just consume an entire house where you know 50 people are crammed into a living room and a kitchen break out over nothing at all you know somebody just said something stupid and somebody else took it the wrong way but the real story <laughs> that i want to share is this um one time i was working at the sign and desk at one of the dorms the night our college football team lost the championship so maybe, I don't know, half an hour after the game, 40 minutes, I was walking through the lobby of this building to the vending machines or something to get a, a late night snack. It was midnight or maybe a little bit early, early than that. And um, out of nowhere, a rock bursts through the giant plate glass window and lands right where I had just been two seconds ago. A couple minutes later, the campus is in the middle of a riot. People are lighting toilet paper on fire and throwing it at each other. Kids are climbing on top of buildings and being dared to jump off, which some did. I think one kid broke both his legs. It was just chaos, complete chaos. All because a team most people didn't even care about lost the game. And I didn't even go to a, a major D1 school. You know, we're not talking about a Michigan or an Alabama here. Um, I don't know if those mean those names mean anything to you, being from the UK, but they're they're major football programs in the states. Um, you know, kids even toss stuff into the, the campus pond. I think when it was all said and done, the total property damage was over $100,000. Um, all for a team that didn't even sell out its games. 
And, uh, you know, once you've seen that, um, you can, stuff doesn't seem to be as over the top as it used to before you see something like that over so little a thing. Um, so if you look at the rocks through that lens, you know, that they represent that thing that can set someone off. Um, I believe that the episode as a whole begins to make more sense. Um, couple that with viewing the episode through the lens of the main character, and the message becomes clear. Yes, we all know in a logical, statistical, rational way, it can't be all guys. But, uh, and I, I've heard this once, and it, it perfectly sums up my feelings, um, statistics mean nothing to the individual. It only takes one instance for everything to go wrong. One meteorite landing in the wrong place at the wrong time to change everything. So when you view, and, and of course this is true for anybody, man, woman, black, white, all, you know, remove all of those things and anything can happen any day. But in the context of the episode, which is you go out with a colleague, you go out with your friends, you're just driving home and it just takes that wrong look, that, that, that wrong day for that other person, the attacker to, to see something or feel something. And it, it, whether, whether the, the meteorites are placebo or not, um, it doesn't matter because in that moment, uh, the only thing that's real is what's about to happen. So that, that made the episode feel more real and yes, more uncomfortable, but I think, you know, that's what a good Twilight Zone episode does. Is it a good Twilight Zone episode? I don't know. But I've been thinking about it for two weeks, and uh, it took me a long time to do this feedback because there's, I just had so much to say and had no way of putting it in a logical place. So uh, that's all I got, Tom. Thanks for giving me the space to talk about it. I'll catch you next time. I've had an email from TZ Fan and he says, I really enjoyed this episode. While it's not been perfect, Thursdays have now become a day of the week I really look forward to. I'm glad the show is tackling difficult topics and seeking to encourage deeper reflection and introspection. I know it will be another divisive topic, but I do feel this episode was true to the spirit of the original series. Much like the episode Equality of Mercy, the writers use a role reversal to demonstrate a radical experiment in radical empathy. In my view, this episode is about the veils of comfort, privilege and ignorance. The episode shows what happens when roles are reversed and that veil is lifted. I think this is especially evident when viewing Eve before and after the roles reverse. Before the roles reverse, Eve isn't intentionally malicious, but rather due to her status, she is ignorant, separated from the consequences of reality. She believes she is entitled to two spots in the parking lot, not because she's mean, but because she's so far removed that she doesn't realise it's wrong. After the roles reverse, as she begins to experience the shift she begins to see the effect that her actions have had on others. She sees why it's so important that she take Anna along with her in her escape, because she's a person with grandkids and a life of her own. 
before the roles reverse, Eve is separated from reality in a lot of ways. She dresses like she's from the 1950s, despite the fact we see it's 2019 on the cash register. She cares about her house and people getting to see it. After the roles reverse, appearances and superficiality are the last thing on her mind. By the end of the episode we see the disintegration of her status as her appearance is fraught and dishevelled. Before the roles reverse, Otto is just a bomb in the parking lot, who she wouldn't have noticed if it weren't for her kids. After the roles reverse, Otto is a person of status, who can potentially lead her to find freedom and understanding. And again, before the roles reverse, Eve doesn't even bother getting to know Anna's family, despite the fact she's lived with the family for 11 years. They don't care about her as a person. They see her as a utility or a means to an end. After the roles reverse, Eve realises how horrible it is to be used. Like Anna's experiences in the family, the interrogators want what they want out of Eve and don't actually care about her as a person. They just want answers. She isn't a person, she's a means to an end. And finally, before the roles reverse, when Anna is taken from Eve and the family, Eve is upset, but she doesn't stand up to the people who came to take Anna in the way she said she does. Anna just wanted a better life for herself and her family. Eve doesn't fight, but rather she faces it with a frightened reserve. After the roles reverse, Eve is frantic, tries to stand up to the people coming to take her by telling them to get out of her house. Like Anna must have felt, Eve is unable to understand how the people she called family will not be standing up and fighting for her. As a person who simply wanted a better life, she now sees how urgent and unjust Anna's situation is, having gone through it herself. In the end, Eve gets to experience what it's like to be on the other side of a comfort she didn't know existed. The episode is a study in ignorance, privilege, and what it's truly like when that veil is lifted and the roles are reversed. I really enjoyed the episode and think it maintained a true Twilight Zone feel throughout. It felt like a quality of mercy with a new twist. I look forward to seeing what the rest of the season has in store. Thank you again Tom for this ongoing forum and letting the fans have a place to discuss it. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the episode and what you guys are going to bring to the discussion. Keep up the great work. And that's from TZ Fans. Thank you. Thanks for writing in. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Buda, Texas, talking about Point of Origin. As you know, I don't watched the preview, so I had no idea what this episode was about other than uh, the title and uh, the little tagline about, you know, Eve just wants to find her way home, but what is home? I thought, okay, let's see how this goes. So starts off pretty, pretty cool, some pretty cool visuals, and I mean, it's shot very well. And then, um, and then we find that uh, the housekeeper gets taken away, and I thought, oh, this is going to be talking about immigration, uh, border wall. Uh. So I thought, okay, well, let's just let's just see what they do with this, and 
kind of go through and and as they went through the episode they're to reinforce the fact that they're talking about this current issue they're using buzzwords you know like caravan and things like that in Guatemala and I thought and and this was the first episode where I realized that I couldn't my brain couldn't turn off the real world issue they were trying to talk about in order for me to actually enjoy the episode you know if you want to talk about real world issues um it's i think it's better to do it in a way where you watch the episode and the twist is hey guess what we're talking about immigration oh well, let me go back and now watch this again and see because, you know, I had all these expectations and, you know, thoughts and theories and thinking about this and realizing, oh, this is about immigration. Oh, different different technique as opposed to basically, I don't know, doing a little sci-fi twist about different dimensions and things like that. And I don't know. I mean, just like in the real world, you know, they they covered it from just one angle, per se. They just concentrated on the the symptoms of the problem. How do we deal with the symptoms of the people that are here as opposed to concentrating on why are the people here in the first place? What's causing them to want to come here? Why is their world gray and not blue? You know, gray skies here, blue skies here. I mean, they show you some flashbacks and things like that, but, you know, I don't know. So just it was, like I said, this was the first episode where I thought, man, Here's another, quote, timely episode. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's only two episodes left. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to episode 10 to see, you know, what what they got here and maybe how they're tying things in. Um, I don't know what episode 9 is about because, um, again, I don't watch the uh, the trailers, but I wanted to reference the Sci-Fi Wire article that I mentioned previously. Uh, This is from uh, April 19th, the interview that they did with uh, Glenn Morgan. And in the body of this uh, interview, uh, that's where he says, most of us who write the Twilight Zone lean left. And then the last question they ask him is, is this version of the Twilight Zone overtly political? And Glenn responds, not always. There are some episodes where you'll understand our point of view. But we have an episode coming later that's about a gun. And we worked really hard to make sure that the left wouldn't turn it off right away, but that the NRA wouldn't either. But that's what's so great about the original Twilight Zone. You don't do it by being heavy-handed. You ask yourself, is that me? So I think that's interesting that he mentions, you know, the original Twilight Zone. And we all know about Rod's desire to 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 talk about timely issues for the late 50s and early 60s. But, you know, of those 156 episodes, I mean, you got episodes like One for the Angels, Walking Distance, The Lonely, Time Enough at Last, Third from the Sun, Mirror Image, People Are Alike All Over, The After Hours, Eye of the Beholder, Nick of Time. Uh, the Night of the Meek, The Invaders, The Rip Van Winkle Caper, Shadow Play, The Shelter, A Game of Pool, It's a Good Life, 
The Midnight Sun, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, Nothing in the Dark, Kick the Can, To Serve Man, Jess Bell, Miniature, The New Exhibit, On Thursday We Leave for Home, Steel, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Living Doll, The Old Man in the Cave, Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross, Number 12 Looks Just Like You, The Masks, Mr. Garrity and the Graves, The Fear. Those are just 35 episodes that are timeless. Let's hope that Season 2 has more of these. So, until Episode 9, I'll talk at you later. Bye. John here from British Columbia, Canada, with a few thoughts about the Twilight Zone episode, Point of Origin. Now, once again, the Twilight Zone has chosen to be timely rather than timeless. The episodes are extremely well done, but the subject matter as presented is taken from current events in the United States. And I'm left wondering if this will feel dated a few years from now. It would be a shame because this version of the Twilight Zone is so well done. I don't want to see the series forgotten. Now onto my thoughts on this episode. At first I thought it was going to be a show about detention centers set up in the United States and what it would be like for a white woman of privilege to be in one of those centers. And that would have made for an extremely powerful story. And then the tone shifted when Eve received her uniform. The reddish-orange color reminded me of The Handmaid's Tale and what the women were wearing. Just before she's put into the center, the interrogator mentions she and her husband have been married for six years and have eight-year-old daughters. So I was wondering if this was going to be about a morality movement going to declare her as an unfit parent and then take her children from her. Again, it would have been a very compelling episode. But the story didn't go in either of those directions. Instead, Eve was one of a wave of refugees who had come from another dimension and they were now being rounded up. Now, by declaring Eve and others were from another dimension, it could also be argued they were not quite human. And that also seemed like the husband's response near the end. And sadly, this also seems to be an underlying yet unvoiced attitude toward immigrants and refugees. If we don't see them as fully human, then it's okay not to welcome them, and it's okay to treat them harshly. Because of this, it was the episode which gripped me more than any of the others in the series. I am the grandson of refugees. My grandparents on both sides, along with some of my uncles and aunts, were among the 20,000 Mennonites who came to Canada from the former Soviet Union between 1923 and 1930. They were fleeing persecution. We were welcomed in Canada, and this is something I do not take lightly. But the same country my grandparents fled in the 1920s had also welcomed them in the late 1700s. And the same story has also played out with other minority groups in other parts of the world. 
those who were once welcomed and accepted were later the victims of rising nationalism. The idea that a group of people is at one point able to find a home in a new country and later is forced to flee, well, that hits a little too close to home. Now I'm left wondering how to respond to ensure a story like this one remains a work of fiction and something that exists only in the Twilight Zone. Point of Origin. One of my absolute favorite Twilight Zone episodes never was a Twilight Zone episode. It was a short story written decades after the original Twilight Zone went off the air. The story so perfectly fit the spirit of the series that had it been written in Serling's time, I feel certain he would have filmed it, and it would have been a masterpiece episode. The story is The Ones Who Walk Away from the Omelas by famous science fiction writer Ursula K. Le Guin, and it's published in a book called The Wind's Twelve Quarters. In The Ones Who Walk Away from the Omelas, there's a utopian society, a place where everyone has everything they need and everything they want. The city has a guarantee of happiness, but that happiness rests on a Faustian bargain, because underneath the city, in a dingy cell, is a terrified, stunted, shivering, mostly starved child, and everyone during their adolescence is made known that the child is there. The child is locked in a cell and exhibited to those who want to see it any time. The child is fed half a bowl of gruel every day and sits naked in its own filth, with no love, no attention, no sunlight. No one is allowed to speak even a kind word to the child. If the child were rescued, the whole city of the Omelas would be ruined. The city's great happiness, its health, its accomplishments are all dependent on the suffering and misery of this one child. Most people accept the bargain, but a few simply walk away. They know no other world and don't know what's in the wilderness beyond the city, but they refuse to accept a world that thrives on someone else's suffering, so they give it up and they walk into the unknown. Point of Origin is an homage to Eye of the Beholder and is a spiritual successor to the Omelas. When our quality of life and privilege comes at the price of the suffering of others, do we look away? Do we accept and rationalize? Or do we, like the very few in the Omelas, walk away? This episode gives us a reversal of fortune, the ultimate do unto others, as Eve is put in the shoes of Anna when Ice kidnaps her, separates her from her children, separates her from the perfect life sustained by the suffering of others, and she becomes the alien, literally, as her former life, escaping the miserable apocalyptic world and its gray skies, becomes known to her conscious mind. It feels like every scene in this episode was important, and the suspense was palpable. But really pivotal scenes for me include the lunch table discussion, where Anna's friend, excuse me, Eve's friend, says, well, you know, they bring it on themselves, and they espouse that position. But that position is betrayed by the fact that each of them has hired someone who was undocumented, but the legal and social punishments fall only to the powerless undocumented people, not to the people who actually hire them and exploit their cheap labor and use them. Another pivotal scene for me was in the escape from the gulag when Anna runs and does not trust the ice cream truck, but Eve does trust it and Eve is eventually betrayed. 
This makes a clear distinction between those who have benefited from the injustices of the United States and trust in its systems as contrasted against those who have been the victims of systemic injustice and bigotry and don't trust it, between the omelas above ground and the suffering child below. If you don't understand this divide, I highly recommend the Equal Justice Initiative Racial Justice Calendar. I started getting this a few years ago, and it's really eye-opening history going all the way up to present day. And it's really, it, it kind of like is the child in the basement that we don't look at. And if we understand it, and if we see it, we just have a better understanding, and we can do better. And um, I think that a lot of this stuff really isn't looked at and should be. A web search for the EJI calendar will turn it up. So, final thought is that the statement from Otto in the episode where he says, you don't trust me because I don't look like you, gives a great summary and puts this episode square in the world of Rod Serling. Serling's shows were more subtle because they had to be. The networks did not give him the freedom to be direct in the way he wanted to be and in the way that the new series is allowed to be. These episodes aren't subtle, but they are quality, and they force us to look in the mirror in a way that a more subtle show wouldn't. Perhaps that means that some will just turn away altogether. In the end, what suffering are we willing to allow to happen to others for our own comfort, and at what point will that suffering be ours to bear? Cheers. Hi, Tom. Brandon Shamitella here with some feedback on the latest episode, Point of Origin. Uh, I thought this episode uh, really hit it out of the park. I thought it was really well done. The The moody atmosphere of the episode and the dreamlike uh, imagery that we kind of saw in the episode was really fascinating. I mean, I don't know quite how to take all the imagery that we see in the episode, whether some of it is meant to be metaphor and whatnot. You know, for example, the, the secret exit out behind the, uh, the wall in the, in the bathroom there, you know, it's, it's kind of odd that they would have something like this. So I, I'm still trying to process all the imagery that I saw in the episode, but I thought it was extremely well done. I really loved that they had the episode take place in the winter because that's something that's not shown very much on screen. And I, I think it always is such a, an interesting choice to set something in the winter. And I thought it really, uh, you know, kind of added to the, to the episode in a unique way. Um, the, the, with them coming up with the black and white releases of these episodes, I gotta say, I don't think that this episode will will gain anything from that. And I think it may actually lose something because, you know, the color blue, the concept of the color blue in this episode plays such an import. Um, I don't know if they might do something along the lines of Schindler's Lists where they might just have her eyes be blue by themselves and everything else black and white. But I mean, like the they've already given us this distinct impression of the differences between the two universes by having her nightmares be in black and white and them continually talking about the gray skies that are there. Uh, that my impression is a literal one that the parallel universe they come from is like a black and white universe. So uh, that that's going to be interesting to see if that actually does add anything when the episode's released in black and white. Um, the only one thing that I didn't quite understand um, is how her being a bad mother plays into this whole thing. You know, like she's not really there for her kids. She's letting the nanny do everything. Um, and while I understand that enhances the, the difference between her kids feeling like the nanny's a part of their family versus her feeling 
the kids are, uh, the nanny's a part of her family. I guess I just don't understand how that plays into the whole overall aspect of the episode, um, but it doesn't take away anything from the episode at all. I think this is one of the best of the season. Uh, the music was spot on, uh, you know, the acting was sp spot on. Jennifer Goodwin was just amazing and perfect in the role. James Frain was outstanding in the role. Uh, you know, Karen Conival, who was, I don't know, I, I guess I would describe her as the leader of the people uh, when she went into that back closet. Uh, it was really neat to see her. Uh, X-Files fans may know that she played Mrs. Peacock on the F episode Home of the X-Files. Um, and then uh, she was also in the season, I think it was 10 or 11, one of the two where she played the twin brother and sister uh, as well. But uh, she's a she's a fun actress and she's been on uh, many interviews of the X-Cast. Uh, I've been hearing quite a bit about Karen Conival lately. So I love this episode. I think it's really great. Um, I messaged you this morning and then you sent me a joke response back, but I don't, I don't get the ice cream reference at the end either. So, um, you know, cause the two guards were eating ice cream as she was escaping and Jordan Peele was holding ice cream at the end. And this, I don't know, this company vehicle was a, was an ice cream vehicle as well. So, um, I, I guess I just don't understand the reference and, and how the, the ice cream plays into it as well. Maybe it doesn't, and I'm just looking for something that isn't there, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think to me, it seemed kind of important because it, ice cream showed up so many times, uh, especially with the two security guards eating ice cream as she was escaping. So brilliant episode. I really, really loved it. I thought it was really fantastic. This is great. Uh, thanks, Tom. Keep the great work. Thanks so much. Okay, Brandon is a good friend of mine. And, you know, we talk about things in messages sometimes. And he asked me what the significance of the ice cream van was. And I think, I don't know, I said something s stupid probably. But it's a difficult one because sometimes as a Brit, I miss the significance of something that might mean something to Americans. But nobody's really mentioned it in their feedback that I can recall. So I don't know whether it is something that I'm missing that has some significance to Americans that I'm just not getting. Perhaps it is maybe riffing on the fact that, you know, if someone comes into England via the Channel Tunnel or via a ferry or something, um, then that will often be on a truck. It will be on some sort of commercial vehicle um, and they will stow away on that. They will hide in the cargo hold or in some secreted space. That's just an idea. I don't know whether it's it's something that's actually true. So maybe this was just a kind of neighborhood equivalent of that. You know, she didn't have to cross any water, but she could stow away on this ice cream truck. The ice cream man has given the guard some ice cream that distracts them. She can get on the truck and, and get away. I don't know. I'm not sure whether that's actually what it's about, but that was kind of my takeaway on it but I could be wrong. So thanks as ever for your feedback, Brandon. Hi, Tom. This is Steve from Westchester, New York. Here are my thoughts on the episode Point of Origin. Everything from the acting, cinematography, music, art, and direction I thought was absolutely stunning. I love the idea of using parallel dimensions as the metaphor. 
I couldn't tell if this was hinted at, but I was almost expecting them to reveal that Eve's original dimension was actually going to be our own. Regardless, I thought the story was fantastic. Some criticisms, though. Uh, this was the first one for me that I thought the message was just a little too on the nose. I couldn't help but feel that we didn't need all of the extra statements that were snuck in to the narration and even the dialogue. You know, we had mentions of the caravan, borders, um, having the housewives talk so blatantly about illegal immigration. Um, you know, although I really do love this new iteration of The Twilight Zone, I often feel like they aren't giving us, the audience, enough credit when it comes to understanding the nuance. Despite these criticisms, you know, the production and entertainment easily propel Point of Origin into my top three, probably just behind Not All Men and Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. I mean, that last scene alone with Eve pleading to stay home just killed me, and it really stuck with me for some time. Um, But that's all my thoughts. Uh, Keep up the great work, Tom, and don't let the anger get you down. Hello, Tom. This is Todd reaching out to you from my cluttered basement in Western Maryland in the States. This is my first actual message to your excellent podcast. I've only been listening since just before the new 2019 series began, having discovered the podcast through Twitter. I've been binging almost nonstop since then, and on that timeline, I'm up to your 2018 review of Dead Man's Shoes, while I also listen to each new episode about the new series as they are available. It won't be long before those two timelines merge for me. Truly, you've created a wonderful thing here. Like many of us, I've been a Twilight Zone fan since I was very young. I've recently subscribed to your Patreon and also want to tell you how much I appreciate all of the work you do for us. Now I'm going to talk about the recent Point of Origin episode. I enjoyed this episode a lot on first watch. It's the first time I got actual chills from watching one of the 2019 episodes. Even if the cause of those chills were just as much my imagination writing its own ending as anything I can be sure the show was trying to do. I liked it so much I watched it a second time only an hour later, after having listened to your podcast with Mark Ramsey, and while some of the heavy-handedness hit me a little harder the second time through, I still enjoyed it quite a lot. In the story, our lead character Eve is a wealthy, extremely privileged mother of two, who is very concerned about appearances, and obviously thinks she's better than less fortunate people, even if she isn't aware of that herself. She is portrayed as someone who maybe thinks of herself as being compassionate for the plights of others, as evidenced by her agreeing to allow her nanny to use Eve's address so that the nanny's grandson can attend a local charter school. But she is also shown to be somewhat less than willing to put the needs of others above her own. In an exchange with her friends drinking coffee after the nanny has been taken away by some kind of immigration police, Eve tells them that she told the officers, quote, You cannot walk into my house and do this, for which her friends commend her bravery. She didn't actually say that to immigration, though, instead having told the nanny that she would contact her lawyer. Here we've been given, in a heavy-handed way, the major themes of the episode. This feels like it's less an attack on more traditional anti-immigrant people, and more of an attack on people who, while they may say they sympathize and do not want to see immigrants mistreated, don't actually make much of an effort to do anything about it or even speak up. Additionally, there's a pointed way in which this is about DACA in the U.S., an immigration policy in which people who were brought here as children by their parents could receive a deferment on any deportation and become eligible for a work permit. The Trump administration has been attempting to phase out DACA 
which would ultimately mean these people could be forced to go back home, which is a truly strange concept in these cases. Where is home for people who as children were brought to a place illegally and through no fault of their own and subsequently grown up in that place? There is some truly beautiful visual filmmaking happening inside the prison to which Eve is taken, and amidst some more heavy-handed moralizing when Eve's nanny, Anna, lets Eve know in no uncertain terms that she is lying to herself about how much she actually considers Anna to be a part of her family, there is some strong Twilight Zone strangeness. When she is taken by Otto to meet with other people in her situation in prison, she is told that she will think they're speaking English, but that they aren't and are instead speaking a language, quote, only people like us can understand. This is an interesting piece of weirdness. Also, there are doors within the prison with labels, one of which is a sink disguised as a wall and labeled sink, and the other of which says simply door, both labels in bold capitalized letters. I can't help but think there is some kind of significance here. Maybe it's a reference to something else I'm not catching, but either way, the feelings this evokes in me really increase the sense of the surreal inside the prison. The episode's Twilight Zone centerpiece happens in the literal center of the episode, when Eve is strapped to a hamster wheel-like table and given a clear mask made to look like the faces of the pig-faced people from the original episode, The Eye of the Beholder. Here, the menacing investigator asks Eve strange, true-false questions about the world and talks of interdimensional travel. On my first viewing here, I got chills when my imagination unintentionally made up its own story. I imagine that these travelers, who look just like us, or from the dimension in the Eye of the Beholder, that the place those people from that episode went when it was found out that they could not be made to look like the pig-faced people might be our world, and that they now have been found out and it will be shown that our scientists have discovered a way to change their appearance to match the more common look from their homeworld, and then they can go back. I thought the word origin in the title would be referencing the original Twilight Zone, and that sending these people back there, having healed them in the way they wanted to be healed before being sent away would be some strange message about the Twilight Zone itself. I even raised my hands above my head while watching this episode with my wife and daughter, thinking about how awesome this was. Unfortunately, that's not quite how it went. Although my mind's tangent here turned out to be a bit of an overreach, the references to Eye of the Beholder persist when Eve wakes up in a hospital bed next to a doctor whose face is initially obscured and we find that we are more squarely in an episode about not knowing who we really are, about the struggle some people have to face to prove that they belong in what to them, and by any rational definition of the word, is their home. The references to that original episode aren't accidental here, clearly. This is a universal theme, and while this episode does, without a doubt, do some of the over-explaining that we may still be struggling to get used to in this new series, and while I personally find myself missing the masterful poetry of Rod Serling's dialogue and narrations, I feel that this is a powerful episode that shows us one of the darker corners of the Twilight Zone. There is a mishmash of references here. This is a complex version of one of the stories of a villain, here represented by Eve, getting her comeuppance by the zone, while also being a slanted retelling of Eye of the Beholder, mixed with the classic idea of a protagonist who isn't who they think they are, or is in a world that isn't as they thought it was. Think here of both the after hours and person or persons unknown. And of course there's walking distance, where Martin Sloan finds that he can't go home again. Whether it's intentional or not, the creators of this new version of the show have made, at least for me, a kind of viewing portal that blends enough references to my favorite things from the original series and lets my own imagination get sucked into a rabbit hole of wonderful weirdness. There are signposts everywhere, and while some of them are hard to read, they all point to the Twilight Zone. 
Jordan Peele's closing narration may have been a bit blunt, but it did end beautifully. Quote, For Eve Martin, there's no passport to be stamped for passage out of the Twilight Zone. Letting us know that for some of us, there's no way to ever get out of this place we stumbled into as children, sneaking a peek at those strange black and white stories late at night when there are no blue skies to be seen. I've got a couple other notes and trivia here that I thought I'd point out. I wondered if there's something we're meant to understand about Eve's first name being Eve, like the biblical first woman and the title being Point of Origin. I'm not able to figure out exactly what that might be. In the middle of the episode, when we first see the pig-faced mask, the curled lip is on our left side. When we come back from her dream, in which she thought she was speaking to her husband, it's on the other side. The mask is a mirror image of the original. I wonder if this was intentional or a reversal of the video image by mistake. My daughter pointed this out to me. I didn't notice it myself. 1015 was used again as a password to a keypad, and there is a can of munch cereal with a picture of a can of it and the tagline to serve humans. I thought this was funny. The ice cream truck says Mr. Dingle's something or other. Maybe this is just a way for the show's new creators to remind us that not every episode of the original Twilight Zone was a masterpiece. Okay, this is enough for me, Tom. This is Todd crawling back under my rock in my little corner of the Twilight Zone. And thanks again for everything you're doing. Hi, Tom. It's Adam Cook. I watched Point of Origin on Thursday a few days ago, and I will say that I enjoyed it very much while I was watching it, but it probably amounts to one of the least memorable of the current season. Um, It's not to say it was a bad episode. I genuinely enjoyed it, and I particularly enjoyed, as I have um, throughout this whole season, uh, the performances. I think Jennifer Goodwin was um, fantastic, probably one of the best performances of the series so far. James Frain was a perfect, sinister character. Uh, Sabrina Guevara was very believable in her role. I thought uh, the performances were fantastic. I also thought the direction was great, as has been a trend throughout this whole season. Cinematography was amazing, and uh, I was very engaged throughout the episode. But I will say a couple days later, I have not been dwelling on it as much as I have some of the other episodes. I actually, in preparation for this recording, had to reread through the synopsis to even remember some of the details of it. I think part of the problem was that there were a lot of directions it was taking it and left some things dangling and it was hard to remember what was wrapped up and what was not. But I will say I still think it was a it was a very well done episode and I think I probably need to watch it again. Like your advice for a traveler, I think this is one of those episodes where it's probably better on second viewing. It will probably stick a little bit better. I do want to say that um, there were some things I loved about it, um, some things that were uh, were particularly memorable and poignant. It looks like we're back on track after a couple of episodes of not having that tie together with, of course, the mask from uh, that was made to look like the characters from Eye of the Beholder. Uh, and like has been the case throughout the season so far, Whenever there is a substantial callback to a, a to another episode, I think that they are trying to say, remember that episode because that's going to be helpful for understanding this episode. Looking through that lens, I think that uh, while this isn't a, um, a perfect 
connection to Eye of the Beholder. I do think that there were elements that are worth um, worth connecting to that episode. So, you know, it's on the surface is a story about someone who uh, is out of place in her society. In Eye of the Beholder, it's someone who's out of place, who was born there, but born with a mutation, and she knew she was out of place. In this case, um, Eve's character thought that she looked like everyone else, acted like everyone else, but found out underneath that she was different because there was this um, this past that she didn't even really remember. Uh, in the end, she is, uh, she is taken to a facility to try to get that information and then is, uh, is carted off to a society of people like herself, or so we presume. And so, in that regard, it does have a connection to Eye of the Beholder. I also imagine that the writers of this current episode uh, were trying to say, remember that episode and remember the dire warnings that um, Serling had given in that episode, uh, which was, this is what the society could become. And I imagine that what they were saying was, this is what the society has become. So uh, I think that was uh, that was a very interesting message to take away. I also think that I don't think this was necessarily on purpose, but I do think uh, it had reminders to me of um, Third from the Sun, especially the part where they are running away from the facility and there are searchlights and uh, they're running up to a chain link fence. And I can imagine, if that was on purpose, that there is some connection to these are people who are just like us, uh, who are escaping a bleaker reality and coming to our planet, um, or in this case, to our dimension. And uh, I think that's that's an interesting point as well. What would have happened to um, the characters from Third from the Sun? When they arrived to Earth, would they have been accepted as Earthlings? Would they have gone under the radar and been unnoticed until they came up with some way to test and find out who was part of this other planet? So maybe this was intended to be a light sequel to that, or perhaps, again, that was just coincidence. So I do think I like the episode. I think that uh, I will probably gain a lot more from it when I watch it a second time, and I'm looking forward to that, um, trying to decide if I will watch it a second time in color or if I will wait for it to come out in black and white. Uh, I was one of those that was vocal about uh, how how much I wished that it was going to be in black and white, um, but I actually uh, made a prediction on Twitter that uh, perhaps they would do what they uh, have just announced they are doing, which is uh, releasing it in black and white, being a streaming service and having that freedom. So uh, some may see it as gimmicky. Uh, I see it as just fun. And uh, I'm really glad that they're doing it, mostly to give me a good excuse to watch the whole series again and, uh, and see it with a slightly a fresh perspective. One other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is that um, if you look on IMDb, this uh, episode has a very low rating, very similar to the last episode, uh, and I would say very unfairly so. And I think that there's an interesting thing with this series, um, and that is that uh, it seems that people love to hate this series. I think that it's one of the dangers of having a remake 
people come predisposed wanting it to be exactly like the previous series and it's just not it can't be uh someone mentioned on twitter that um Part of the reason why it is that uh, this is so different than the previous series is that Serling was forced to disguise the messages, and Peel's just not. It's okay for him to share in a premium cable channel his thoughts on politics and on uh, social issues, whereas Serling had to disguise that more. That is an element that uh, just can't be recaptured, and so you're not going to have the same series. But... I think if uh, you can separate yourself from the original series and um, put yourself into this being a, uh, a sort of descendant of the original series, then I think it's really a great series. I really wish people gave it more opportunity. I wish that, um, that people would put themselves in more of a, t- of a mind frame of um, this being a series that has a connection to a series they love but can stand in its own right. I wish that they could listen to the messages, agree or disagree, and open the dialogue. I'm excited to see uh, how the season ends in just a couple of episodes, but I will say uh, while this episode itself may not have been a slam dunk, um, it was, I would say, a good episode, and I can comfortably say that the worst episodes so far are still worth watching, and the best episodes um, are uh, are ones that uh, that really could stand the test of time. Thanks so much, Tom, again for giving us the opportunity to um, have a place to share our thoughts, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what your thoughts on this episode were. Hey Tom and listeners, Zach Moore here wanted to share my thoughts on Point of Origin. I really enjoyed this episode. I think from an aesthetic level, it might be my favorite episode. Uh, just in the the way it was directed and the way it looked and the art design here. And, and, it, and this kind of plays into uh, my theory about this episode. It might not be a theory, it might be a fact. As always, I'm very curious to, to hear what all y'all think about the episode. But this is not our Earth, you know. Uh, and if we're going to try to fit all these episodes into some kind of universe, uh, and already, Tom, I was on Six Degrees of Freedom with you, kind of ran down my head cannon, if you will, of, uh, of how all the episodes fit together. I'm not sure how Not All Men would fit in this uh, timeline, but uh, the, the Earth we see here in Point of Origin is not our Earth. If we are, to use a comic book term, on Earth Prime... Uh, and Earth Prime is the universe that we saw in the first, you know, seven episodes. This is not that Earth. That Earth was destroyed in Six Degrees of Freedom, possibly because of President Oliver <laughs> in The Wonder Kid. And Eve and everyone that had come over to the Earth we see in this episode are from our Earth, are from Earth Prime, are from the Earth that we saw in the last seven episodes. Now... Does that make or break this episode? No. I just think it's a fun way to connect everything. Uh, I get, hey, 1015 shows up. It's the code to get out of the door uh, from the facility that Eve and Anna are, are held in. Uh, so, yeah, so that that is my headcanon. My headcanon is that this is not our Earth. And, and the visual style of the episode leads you in that direction because it's just off enough where you're like, hmm... Um, the way of dress, you know, the it is very fifties, like a, like a time capsule, as if it really was just a just a, a Twilight Zone episode made with modern sensibilities, uh, but with the same 
you know, art design of the time. And, and, I, and I really like that. And I, I don't know if that was intentionally to try to recapture that, you know, late 50s, early 60s style, or that was just part of the, the visual language of just trying to say, hey, this is not our Earth, you know? Like, you know, it's a third from the sun situation, right? Because we think in that episode of the original, they're escaping Earth, it's going to get destroyed. No, they're escaping a planet that was going to get destroyed and they end up at Earth. Uh, same thing with this episode. You know, we think this is our world, but it's not our world. It's an alternate world, and that's why everything looks different. And you know, the, uh, the, I, I must say that the James Franz character, I, I think that him and him and a traveler must shop at the same place because they, you know, the the suit, the fedora, very similar look. But hey, it's very very Twilight Zone. It's very classic. You know, um, very classic look. And you know, and, and I I enjoyed this episode's kind of journey for the main character. Um, you kind of knew something was up from the start. You could kind of see. You know, we were going to have a, uh, a trading places situation of, you know, uh, a one percenter, if you will, having to see how the other half lives. Uh, they did a little bit, you know, establish that she might not be as um, oblivious as her friends in that, in that scene when she's having tea with her friends. Um, they're a little more cold hearted than her. But at the same time, you know, when she meets Anna again in the facility... Uh, she's like, look, you don't even, you didn't even know my children's names that I had grandkids, you know, it's not, it's not like you treat your family. So it kind of quickly, you know, exposes her, her niceness. So, okay, yeah, she might be a little better than these other people, but they're still in the same boat of, of obliviousness and treating these other people just like, not like people, you know, uh, despite their claims with other family. So, um, you know, it's very, very interesting to see, the struggle here because you didn't know why she was in there, right? You thought, oh no, is it because she mentioned that she was going to let Anna use their address to get her grandson into a school? But there's no way the government could have known that, and 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 I think they they string it out very well, I I, I think, and uh, I was fooled with her uh, getting released and going back home, and then her husband turns into James Fran, and you realize that it's she's still in that platform and that simulation there and that that got me i was like oh no uh and then you know at the, at the end the resolution at the end is definitely a gut punch um you know she gets torn out of her home and says this is my home this is my home and she's you know sees the neighborhood you know the people who were her friends i mean her husband for god's sake is watching her getting ripped away he's saying like you were never my wife which is which is not true obviously she was his wife this is not like a doppelganger switch situation um, which did, which just lead the question of if these people came from another dimension, would these people not themselves exist versions of them on this earth, and did they replace that person? And, um, and and you know, to that point, side note, there is a lot of stuff in here that reminded me of Us, Jordan Peele's most recent film, um, the the prison gear, uh, the idea of parallel people or alternate versions, things of that nature. Uh, if you haven't seen us, I highly recommend it. I don't want to spoil anything here, but there were elements here, and I'm sure if you've seen us, that those things ran through your head watching this episode as well. But yeah, you know, the, I I got to say about the end though, I, I was a little because how it all played out, I was a little confused on why the one of the other doctors, one of the the good doctors, if you will, helped her out and escaped because if if the the ride was the ice cream truck was was the ice cream show going to just deliver them back into their homes in the hands of the government? Or is that all just kind of dependent on how the family reacts? Because if the husband had been cool about the situation, you know, would they have just run off and been fine? And the ice cream truck is kind of an independent, you know, element uh, and not kind of tied into the government there. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, you know, Anna was a little, little savvy, you know, and, and not trusting of it. And obviously she was proven correct. But that, that did feel odd to me. Um, 
that that beat there, but we needed to get to where we needed to get. And uh, and you, you feel horrible for Eve in this situation, and that's the point. You know, it's again, you sympathize with with her, and then you translate that, transpose it to the real world. You know, immigrants, how they get ripped away from their new homes, which you tell people to go back to where you're from. Well, this is where I'm from. This is their home, point of origin, right? That's the name of the episode. So I, I think that was very very powerful. And I, I got to say though, uh, Jordan Peele's appearance at the end. Very Forrest Whitaker-esque, because I could clearly tell that he was not physically there. He was clearly in front of a green screen, and that just reminded me of the 2000 show and Forrest Whitaker was just going to come on. Now, they never tried to, to its credit, the 2000 show, to, to my memory, they never really tried to say, you know, show Forrest Whitaker in the scene. Like, the scene kind of usually froze, and he would kind of walk out in front, uh, not try to blend in. This And here, they really tried to act like Jordan Peele was on that snowy sidewalk eating an ice cream cone, <laughs> but it did, the lighting was off or something. It just did not look it did not look like you belong there. I feel like maybe maybe another whip pan would have been in order. I know they want to do their tracking shot at the end showing um, everyone watching you get ripped away, but uh, but yeah, you know the, ultimately, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I really bounced back from last week. I was not a fan at all of last week's episode. Uh, so yeah, solid. Another good episode, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what the rest of y'all have to say. Hey Tom, this is Uncommon NASA sending you some audio feedback for a point of origin. Um, I am going to be away this weekend, so I just watch it. It's Thursday night when it premieres, and uh, I'm just—I just turned the mic on <laughs> so I can get you something and just keep my streak going, <laughs> which is kind of uh, a personal uh, a personal charm for me to <laughs> send something in for each episode um even the episodes that aren't that great um you know i i usually um i usually do these off the cuff but i usually write down a couple little you know like bullet points i didn't even do that this time i just turned on the microphone so let's do it like this um what did i like about the episode the acting of the main actress was really good. Um, she was able to go from sort of a comedic character in the beginning to a privileged character in the middle to sort of like somebody that you felt pity for and that you were like kind of amazed at, at their reaction to things. It, it, it really wide range of emotions and, and even looks and, and ways that she was able to act it out. Um, what else did I like? Hmm. Um, I liked... Uh, the part uh, where she supposedly gets out um, or gets released like she wakes up in the bed and they release her and she goes home and um, she's having a moment with her husband um, and explaining what had happened to her and the morphing of like his face into uh, the other actor uh, that is playing the um, sort of the, the chief investigator torturer in the uh, in the lab really well done really scary and creepy and uh, just was very edgy like there were points in this episode that really had me on edge and I think that's to its credit um, the third thing I really liked is the very subtle tribute to uh, the beholder with the mask that she's wearing um, or that they make her wear uh, when she's being uh, tortured or tested to see if she's from another dimension or what have you really cool um, nod and, and definitely a nod for the right episode, I suppose. There was one thing similar to the Wonderkind 
there's sort of like one thing that was missing um, in that episode that threw the whole thing off for me. In this episode, there's one thing that was present that threw the whole thing off for me. Um, I couldn't get it out of my head how much better this episode would have been had there not been um, the the Anna character. I'm sorry if I'm remembering that name wrong, but um, the, the maid or the house attendant or whatever the title might be in her home. If that character wasn't there, this episode would have been a lot better. I don't know if I would have loved it, but um, obviously we all understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about immigration in the United States um, and um, the sort of insane heightening um, of, uh, of deportations under our current administration. I mean, we all would have gotten that without that character there. You know, but I think the big difference is as soon as you introduce that character within a second of her speaking, I understand what we're doing. We're doing an immigration episode. If that character wasn't there and this was all just happening to her, she just got plucked out of her life and thrown into this situation, it would have allowed me as the viewer to, to quote unquote figure that out for myself. I would have been able to tell myself what's happening as it's happening and explain it to myself and interact with the piece. And it would have semi been a reveal. It would have been one of those things where people that got it really got it and understood it right away. It would have been obvious to most of us, but there might have been some people that watched it that would have been surprised at the end a little bit. Um, the comparison of like another dimension and like a dark gray world to some of the sort of um, poverty stricken countries that people immigrate from, um, the way that they feel about the United States when they get here, that it's part of them. Um, all of that stuff would have landed so much heavier had I not been told from second one of the episode that that's what we're doing. I, I just feel like they spoon fed the audience and it's unfortunate because there was something good here, but they didn't trust their audience enough. And they didn't have to trust them that much because it would have been obvious what we were talking about, even without the uh, the home attendant character. But she served no purpose. Like, she did not have any Chekhov's gun element to her. There was nothing. You could have erased all of her lines and it would have made no difference um even at the end when she refuses to get on the ice cream truck to escape and she she has that line about not taking chances it didn't have anything to do with anything in, in my opinion like i thought that was going to pay off in some way but it, it really didn't it just you know was there to solidify how you know scared and intimidated uh immigrants in this country are and, and i get that but i just i don't know I, I wish it was uh, done better because it was, uh, you know, a topical thing that, that needed to be discussed. And I think they had their, not just their hearts in the right place, but I think they had their minds in the right place. But again, they didn't trust the audience enough to, to do what good writing does. Even making a, a, an obvious point, trust your audience enough to fool themselves into thinking that they figured this out themselves. I think that's what um, not all men did really well. We all knew what we were talking about. Almost the entire episode. Almost all of us. But 
in some ways the audience was trusted to to be alone with the topic and that just didn't happen this week so not one of my favorites um where it weighs out i'm not sure i definitely want to come up with my own top 10 and rank them all because that's what we do right we just rank everything um but uh i'm not sure where this one will fall but it, it won't fall toward the top because um i just i didn't get to enjoy it i didn't get to interact with the piece i i just it was the way it was presented, I was being told something, and I really wish it wasn't like that because a lot of the elements creatively with the other dimension and um, the black and white and all that was really well done and really creative and an interesting take on the on the topical matter. But yeah, next week, no trailers. So those are your thoughts on Point of Origin. It's... Um... It's been on my mind a lot, this one, you know, because it has been maybe one of my more negatively reviewed episodes. But I think I need to put that in some perspective. There isn't an episode of this new season that I haven't enjoyed on some level. Even the ones where I'm a bit more down on them. I think doing this, doing a podcast, you have to kind of talk it out and, and talk these issues out. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're huge issues, you know? It just means that, well, you know, we're here, we're, we're deconstructing these things. We're talking about what we think works and what doesn't work. But the great thing is, and this is what I really enjoy about this listener's show, for some people, the, the things that don't work for me aren't really an issue because we're all viewing this through our own lens. And likewise, the, the things that people have... Uh, said have not worked for them in the past on issues for me and it's and it's just been a really interesting kind of exercise for me doing this but yeah like I said you know there isn't an episode of this show so far that I haven't enjoyed it in some way and uh, and that's not a bad batting average at all so as time goes on and things get busier for me unfortunately the next episode is going to be a bit tricky now it drops on the 23rd I'm not going to be able to get my episode out until Monday the 27th and then I will hopefully get the listener show out a day later on the 28th. So please by all means uh, get your stuff in by either Sunday the 26th or Monday the 27th. I am going to have to insist on pretty much audio only on this one because it's just a very very busy time for me that weekend. Now, that is the second to last episode, so hopefully we can open things up a bit more in the next one. After that, which will be the finale, and get everyone's views on it. We'll probably put together a bit of a bigger listener show on that one. But the great thing is, a lot of people, even people who emailed in in the beginning, are now putting their voices on, and I think that's really great, you know. So, if you've thought about doing it, why not give it a try? And you can email those in at tz2019 at thetwilightzonepodcast.com and uh, it would be great to hear from you. So like I said, a bit later next time round unfortunately because of my schedule, but sit tight, we will be back with the next Twilight Zone podcast. I'll speak to you soon.